I came across a, a website that had a whole bunch of Easter dad jokes, and I can't help it, so I'm going to tell you all some. All right, here we go. Uh, dad jokes are irresistible to me, by the way, uh, for those of you all that didn't know. But um, So I'll tell you a few of these jokes that I found. Where does Christmas come before Easter? Anybody know? In the dictionary. Somebody said in the Bible, and it's true. Christmas does come before Easter in the Bible also. Uh, how does Easter end? It's an R. Ms. Susan, Susan spends too much time around kids. All right, here we go. Let's see if Ms. Susan knows this one. How, <laughs> what's the best way to make Easter easier? Change the T to an I. All right, let's see. Uh, how does the Easter bunny stay in shape? What? How does the Easter bunny stay in shape? He exercises. <laughs> what happened to the Easter bunny that misbehaved in school? What? I don't know what school you went to. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you got to execute it. All right. We'll end on that one. That's probably enough of, of that. All right, go to your Bibles, please. Uh, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. And uh, let's get into the passage today. Uh, as you turn there and before we begin reading, I want to tell you what's happened to this point. Matthew 27 encompasses, uh, in the book of Matthew, the last day of Jesus, the day of his crucifixion. Not the last day because he was here. Uh, more than that, he was here even after his resurrection. Uh, but it encompasses the day of his, uh, of his crucifixion. And um, just a week prior to this, starting in chapter 21, Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, on a, a riding a donkey's colt. Uh, this, of course, happens shortly after he's raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, news of Jesus heading to uh, Jerusalem and news of, of the miracle that Jesus has pre had performed with Lazarus uh, has spread fast. There's a lot of travelers going into Jerusalem, getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And so as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, there's a crowd, a multitude waiting for him. And they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed be uh, he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're cutting down palm branches and laying them down uh, before Jesus. They're, they're spreading their robes out before him, giving Jesus a royal welcome, a welcome as if uh, a, a conquering general had come into the city to visit and return victorious from battle. And so you have all these people that are welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. And a little later, Jesus goes into the temple, and for the second time in his ministry, he cleans out the temple. He, he, he clears out the money changers. He clears out the people that are selling uh, the animals within the temple for, for sacrifice. And, uh, and he calls them thieves. He says, my, my uh, father's house is not to be a den of thieves. And, uh, and so he clears them out and, and cleanses the temple for uh, the second time. Uh, after he does that, the, uh, the people come to the temple and they're looking for Jesus and Jesus heals many people during that time in the temple. Um, and the Pharisees and the church leaders or the temple leaders are looking on and they already hate Jesus, but now they're hating him more. And as, as more people gather and more people follow him, they're hating him more and more. They've already sought reason to kill him, but now their endeavors are serious. Now they're going to really... Jesus, make them say something that they don't like, make them say something that sounds illegal so that they can not just imprison him, but sentence him to death. 
So um, uh, Jesus is, uh, is telling these people as he's healing them, as they're following him around Jerusalem, he turns around at one point and tells them that it's necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up like Moses lifted the serpent up in the desert. And uh, uh, he's giving uh, a, a, a prophecy of how he's going to die here soon. And uh, he continues to, to tell uh, many parables. He's questioned by uh, the Pharisees as they try increasingly to trap him and tempt him. Uh, and it's in this time frame where, where Jesus gives the explanation of the two greatest commandments. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, and, and as Jesus does this, people are listening. Uh, Jesus takes time out of, during, during his uh, discourses to rebuke the religious leaders of the day for being hypocrites for imposing laws that they themselves can't keep, for looking good on the outside while they're dead on the inside. And, uh, and so as he's doing this, more and more of these religious leaders are getting more and more angry at Jesus and looking for ways to plot to kill him. We come to chapter 26 and we see a plot involving the chief priest to kill Jesus. It's in this, it's in this chapter in Matthew that we see Judas agreeing to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And it's after this that the disciples and Jesus eat what we know as the Last Supper. Before the Passover feast, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And once again, uh, at the table, uh, they're, they're partaking of, of, uh, of a meal. And Jesus dips the bread and gives it to Judas, indicating that Judas is the one that's going to betray him. Jesus looks at Judas and he says, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. And he gets up and goes. And uh, even though he's just indicated that that's the one that's going to betray him, the disciples are like, oh, Judas maybe must be going to get more food. And uh, they don't realize why Judas has left. And Judas has left to go get a band of men from the priests and from the leaders, uh, uh, of the religious leaders of, of that time. Later that evening, Jesus takes the remaining 11 disciples to Gethsemane, where he prays and Twice he catches the disciples sleeping. He, he goes off to pray alone a little way, then he comes back and his disciples are, are sleeping. So he goes and he says, Hey, wake up! Can't you pray with me even an hour? And so they're awake and, and Jesus goes off a little ways and, uh, and he begins to pray again. He comes back and there are the disciples sleeping again. So he wakes them up and he, and he tells them, couldn't you, just have waited, couldn't you just have prayed with me for an hour? And, uh, and he says, Well, get up. It's time now. Well, time for what? It's time for Judas to come to the Garden of Gethsemane there uh, on the Mount of Olives. And, and, uh, and Judas comes in with a band of men, uh, men and officers and religious leaders to arrest Jesus. And to identify Jesus clearly, Judas betrays him with a kiss. And Jesus is led off to be tried before a Jewish court called the Sanhedrin. There they bring false witnesses and accuse Jesus of blasphemy and trying to uh, incite a revolt against the Roman government. Uh, they bring these accusations before Pilate, uh, the Roman governor of Judea. And Jesus is questioned by Pilate. And he doesn't really answer Pilate very much. And so Pilate, not wanting to convict somebody and to sentence somebody to death who he believes is innocent, sends Jesus to Herod. Pilate was the governor of Judea, but, but Jesus did a lot, of his, a lot of his ministry under Herod. Herod's uh, uh, jurisdiction. So he sends him to Herod and he goes, well, Herod can take care of him. 
And Jesus goes to Herod or is taken to Herod and, and, and Herod starts asking him uh, questions and mocking him and, and Jesus doesn't answer at all. And Herod gets bored and he sends him back to Pilate. Nah, let, let Pilate take care of him. And so this is where we find ourselves today. Uh, Jesus is back with Pilate. He's accused by the priests again and again, but he does not answer his accusers and Pilate is marveled greatly, the Bible says. I look at verse 15, this is where we'll start this, uh, this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 through 23. And, and as we read along, I'll stop and I'll pause. The 15 says, Now at that feast the governor, that's Pilate, was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. So, so Pilate had a custom to release a prisoner during the feast of the Passover. Uh, during, in that time. And so he, he'd give the people a choice of who they were going to release. And, and so Pilate is about to exercise this. But look at the next verse. It says, And they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Now Barabbas, this is all we know about in Matthew, about Barabbas. He's a notable prisoner. But we understand by the other Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, why Barabbas was a notable prisoner. Okay, uh, the other Gospels tell us a little bit more about Barabbas, and Mark and Luke tell us that Barabbas was part of a group of men who started an insurrection in Jerusalem, and he was imprisoned with those men at this time. Okay, during that insurrection, Mark and Luke both tell us that uh, Barabbas has uh, committed murder uh, in that time. John tells us, in addition to that, that Barabbas was a thief or a robber. It's the same word that's used to describe the thieves that were hanging on the cross uh, with Jesus. This leads some scholars to believe that maybe those two thieves were in the band of, of men that Barabbas uh, uh, had been with. But there's Barabbas, an insurrectionist, a murderer, a thief, sitting in prison during this time. He's notable. Everybody knew about him. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? And here, Pilate is exercising his custom to release a prisoner. And he knew, verse 18, it says, For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Pilate understood Jesus was innocent. He understood that the only reason that they had come and accused him and come and, and, and had him in prison was because they were envious of the following that Jesus had. He brings out the worst prisoner that they have, and, they, and, and he says, Hey, or release Jesus. You know, he's saying, Hey, do we release this murderer, this thief, this seditionist, or Jesus? The healer, the Christ. Pilate saith unto him, What shall I do? Oh, sorry, verse 21, uh, verse 20. <coughs> but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. See, before this happens, the religious leaders had gone among the crowd and they said, Hey, we want Jesus crucified. And they start convincing the people to ask for Jesus' crucifixion. Release Barabbas. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. The Gospel of Luke tells us 
uh, uh, this about the crowd. Luke writes, They cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, Jesus, and release unto us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. The crowd sees Jesus, the man that just seven days before they had praised and worshipped, the man that they had witnessed so many uh, uh, miracles from. They have him and they have Barabbas, a violent man, a murderer and a thief and a rioter, and, and they ask for his freedom. But they don't stop there. Pilate says unto them, verse 22, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all answered unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? They cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. I always hated this part. I always hated this passage of Scripture. I always hated it when, when preachers would get to this part of, uh, of the story of, uh, of Easter and the last week of Christ's uh, life before he, before he was crucified. I always hated this part. Um, because how cruel and foolish and, and heartless could this crowd be? How two-faced could they be that one week they're calling Jesus blessed and then the next week they're calling for His crucifixion? Uh, I hated reading this passage and I hated hearing it and it would anger uh, me. It would boil up just a frustration and an anger with me uh, at those people. And as a teen, I heard a preacher one time preach on this passage and he said, if you were there, you this is crucifixion. And I thought, how dare this preacher say that I would be part of that crowd? <coughs> I wouldn't be part of the crowd calling for his crucifixion. Those people were bad. Those people were evil. And it's easy to think that way, and it's easy to get angry with them. But much later in life, I came to realize that I have no right to judge that crowd. And my call for you, my call for me this morning, is a call to reflect and understand why we don't have a right to judge wrongly and to judge harshly the crowd that called for Jesus' crucifixion. And crucify Jesus. Because we are the crowd. If you and I were in that time and in their shoes, we'd probably do exactly the same thing that they did. One man. Because as much as we are the crowd, we are Barabbas. And I'll tell you the sense and how we're Barabbas. We are Barabbas in this sense. Before the love of God came to us, we lived as defiantly. trying to crucify Jesus. We lived as wretched as Barabbas had lived in his life. That's, that's who we were before Christ's life was exchanged for Barabbas's. We were as despicable as he was. The reason that Pilate brought out Barabbas was uh, Barabbas was the worst person in that prison. Pilate was under such conviction that Jesus that he was looking for ways to release him. So he brought out the worst that the Jews would want, to, would want the murderer crucified and not the healer. Jesus came to die. And that's what he was here for. He came to die so that we would live. First person to experience that was the worst. This was the first one to experience life, physical life. We don't know if Barabbas ever got saved or not, but he 
Jesus' death. In fact, Barabbas was the only one that experienced The first person to experience that, the only person to experience that physically, was the worst person around, and that was Barabbas. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. There's a lot of assumptions that are made. There's been movies and stories written about Barabbas and what might have happened. There's the idea that, that Barabbas, uh, uh, there's, the, there's a thought that Barabbas, because of such deep conviction of what happened to him and the exchange of his life for Christ's life, became a believer and became a follower of Christ. And, doesn't say anything else about Barabbas uh, after the Gospels. It doesn't tell us what happened even hours after this occurred uh, to Barabbas. There's another thing. continued his riotous and murderous ways. Once again, we don't know. It's, hard, uh, it, it's a bad idea always to preach on assumptions. So But what we can know is this, just as bad as Barabbas was, so are we. I've never robbed anyone, held them at gunpoint. I've never caused riots or participated in riots. I wasn't up at D.C. this uh, earlier, you know, in the riots there. And maybe not. In James chapter 2, verse 10, that if we offend the law in one point... <laughs> We're guilty of it all. of the law. See, the law is one big thing. And we don't just defend here and there. Every time we let one portion of the law fall, all of the law falls on us. And so as guilty as Barabbas was before the eyes of the Lord, that's how not 100% true all the time, but I've wondered this, and I people that were saved out of horrible lifestyles, whether it be drugs, prostitution, alcoholism, gangs, whatever the case might be, than those that were saved out of lives that weren't so bad. I asked myself this question a lot as a, as a teenager. Um, I grew up in church, uh, uh, grew up serving in church, grew up participating in church, never joined a gang, didn't really have a, you know, especially in front of everybody. Uh, but, uh, but I was what you would consider a good kid. Man, I was rowdy and rambunctious. I tell you all the time that I got spankings every day and twice on Sunday because there were two, two churches every but it was just because I was into everything. I was, I was constantly going and just messing with stuff I shouldn't have been. But I really didn't mess up my life too much. I wasn't that big of a sinner. And I thought, man, maybe I should have really messed up my life and then I would have really loved Jesus more. And I really should have done some bad things. That way then when I got... We love Jesus the amount that we think we've been forgiven. A man named Simon 
was a Pharisee who had invited Jesus over to eat. And as he's eating, a sinner, a lady, comes in with oil and and washes his feet with her tears. She's crying so much at Jesus' feet and her tears are flowing freely and, and, and she's wiping his feet with her hair and kissing his feet over and over again. And, and, and Simon thinks within himself, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't want her here. She's a sinner. And Jesus looks at Simon knowing what's in his heart and he says, Simon, i got a story to tell you. And he begins to tell him a a parable. And the parable is this. He says, says, Simon, there was uh, uh, two debtors. One owed him 500 pence. The other one owed him 50 pence. That means nothing to us right now. So I looked it up. I was like, hot buzz, 500 pence. And it was about a denarius. One, One denarius was a day's wage. And so... One man owed him about $60, and the other man owed him about $4,000. And Jesus tells Simon, seeing that they couldn't pay, he frankly forgave them both. So they go to to the creditor when it's time to pay, and the one that owes him $60 says, "Uh, Sir, I can't pay you. I have nothing to pay you with. And the creditor goes, Don't worry about it. Don't pay it. It's forgiven. You don't have to give me a dime. Go your way, live as if you never had this debt. The one that goes in, that owes about $4,000 worth, he, he goes in and he tells the creditor, I, I don't have a way to pay. There's, I, I didn't even bring anything with me because I have nothing to bring as like a down payment or anything. And the creditor goes, go away. It's forgiven. Don't worry about it. And then Jesus asked Simon this, uh, this question. He says, Simon, who do you think of these two men loves the creditor more? And uh, so, uh, so Simon goes, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven most. And to paraphrase Jesus a little bit, Jesus goes, Simon, you're spot on. And see, as a teenager and into my 20s, I had a view of us and them, just like Simon. Simon had a view of us, the Pharisees, and them, anybody that's not a Pharisee. Us, the Pharisees, and them, the sinners. And I had a view of me and them. Me? My sin wasn't that bad. And their sin was bad. And uh, I was realizing that I, I looked at people differently as those people. I was thinking that my life was better than theirs and had been better than theirs. I had the audacity to think that my sin was better (laughs) and to think that that theirs was worse, to think that their life of sin was worse than mine. I was using words like them and me without realizing that I should have been using we. If you go to Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 6. I don't know if you have a uh, practice of marking your Bible or writing or underlining or highlighting. But these words 
after another sermon that I heard stood out to me. And I circled them. And every Bible that I've gotten, I've gone to this passage and I circled certain words. And it's all the collective uses of people. I'll, I'll tell you what it was. Starting with verse 3, Isaiah says, He is despised and rejected of men. So I underline that because I'm part of that, of mankind. A man of sorrow, speaking of Jesus and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did, not, uh, sorry, we did esteem him as stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah's not saying all those sinners turned away. All those sheep went astray. He included himself. The man of God, the prophet of God, who God was speaking to, includes himself in this passage, and he says, we, us, our sins, our iniquities. We hid our faces. We didn't want to look at Him. We've all gone astray. And God laid all of our sin on Jesus, who paid the price for all of us. As a Pharisee, Simon's whole religious outlook was one of us, the Pharisees, and them, everyone else. And that was my outlook for many, many years. And look, we look at Simon and we look at other Pharisees and we criticize them. We see the stories of the Pharisees coming up and trying to tempt Jesus. And we go, man, if only those Pharisees knew how wicked they really were. We see the stories of how Jesus was, we hear the stories of how Jesus was, the Pharisees would look and, and they look at Jesus and think within themselves, and Jesus is doing that through the power of Satan. Or himself to God. And, and, and we hear those stories, and we read those stories, and, and we go, man, Pharisees, y'all are wicked, y'all are evil, y'all are blind. Can't you see? Ah, dumb Pharisees. Wicked Pharisees. We see the crowd that they... Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord one day, and then a week later they, they're among the people crying, crucify him, and we judge them. We can't believe how people can be so shallow, savage, and two-faced. We sit here 2,000 years later in disgust over what they did, little knowing that our voices would probably have rung out the same. Why? Because we can't see to this day that we're as guilty as they were. We stand as guilty as those people did in our sin. And what's more, we are the crowd, but more than that, we are Barabbas. Listen, like I said before, 
You may say, well, I'm, I'm not Barabbas, I'm not the crowd, I've never called for Jesus' crucifixion, I'm not, I don't do all that stuff, but, but James says, if we offended one point, we're guilty of all. The day that I told that first lie, I'm guilty of all the law. I became guilty of all the law. That means I'm bad as, as Judas who betrayed Jesus. I, I'm just as evil as the men that arrested him. And I'm, I'm just as two-faced as the crowd that praised him and later demanded his crucifixion. I'm just as wretched as Barabbas. That's not all I mean. I also mean that I'm just as loved as Barabbas. And God is willing to forgive me just as much as he was Barabbas. And Jesus died to let me live just as much as he died to set Barabbas free. I say I'm Barabbas because today I stand here not as a man that is better than any of you that are here or anybody out there. I stand here with a life that I don't deserve because Jesus died a death that he didn't deserve. I'm Barabbas in the sense that I live because Jesus died for me. The wicked and the evil that I was because Jesus took that away. And he died to set me free and he died to set you free. But I've got something for y'all to watch. It's just a little four-minute video. What an interview with Barabbas after a few weeks of the crucifixion. What that interview may have looked like. Um, I think it's a, it's a neat perspective to have. But I want y'all to look at this, and then after this we'll close shortly after. Ian, if you'll play that video. I am Barabbas. And I took part in a rebellion because I hated Romans. And I would do anything that it took to set Israel free from Roman oppression because it's God's country. We started off by stealing tax money from the tax collectors. Then we got a bit more serious. And, and I was the guy that always wanted to push the limits. And then people started dying. I killed soldiers. I even killed innocent people. The Romans caught me and, and they wanted to make an example out of me. So they sentenced me to death on a cross. I'm in prison and I'm set to be crucified. And then the day comes, Passover. And all I remember is these, these guards coming into my cell and they, they just tell me, you're going up against Jesus and one of you is gonna be set free. And I'm there going, this guy, Jesus, he must be the worst guy ever. And maybe this is my chance. Maybe I can get let off. They take me out, they put me on this stage, and then there's this huge crowd and, and pilots there. And, and then I saw this guy, and he's not big. He's not scary. He's just a normal looking guy. And I just, I felt in my heart, I'm just like this, this is not good. They're not gonna set me free. Pilate asks the crowd, and then he says, who do you want to be released? Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? 
And then the crowd just roars, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. All of a sudden the guards come over, set my shackles free, they push me down towards the crowd and, and I'm free. And I'm, I'm down in the crowd and I turn around and all I hear is crucify him, crucify him. And I look at this guy, Jesus, and he's just standing there. He's not even defending himself. And so the soldiers, they, they take him, they beat him, and they flog him, and they put this, uh, this thorn thing on his head. And by this time, he's, he's unrecognizable. I didn't even recognize the guy that I saw on stage. And I'm there going, what did he do? I go and ask everyone, and the answers that I'm getting are, he was a healer. And someone else said he was a teacher. And I'm confused. They put him up on the cross. And I'm, I'm standing right back, you know, I don't want to get anywhere near those, those Roman soldiers. And all I see is, from a distance, is, is the soldiers, you know, pointing at him and just insulting him and saying all this. And all these people are just saying bad things about him. And then there was this point at which he just yells out, Father, forgive them. I should be the happiest guy on the planet. But I can't stop but thinking inside, that should have been me up there. How is a man like that on the cross? A couple of weeks later, and um, my friend came to me and he said, Jesus is alive. And you don't understand, you, you have to come with me, I'll show you. He took me to this, this massive open like area and uh, and there were thousands of people there, and, um, and I just remember these people acting really strange. And all I remember is him saying these words, Jesus died so that you could be set free. I'm the guy that was literally set free by Jesus. And I felt this weight lift off me. And I, I, I had this compulsion to just go and tell people about this Jesus, this Jesus who sets people free. I'm not a rebel in God's eyes anymore. I'm a friend. I'm a son. I'm a part of his family. I am Barabbas. 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 And Jesus, this Jesus, he is my savior. Like I said before, I don't I don't know if Barabbas was saved afterwards or not. Nobody really does, except for Jesus. I personally like to think he was. But whether he was not. Today we must come to an understanding that Barabbas represents us. Represents who we are. When I find my fire dying down for the Lord, when I find that the zeal is gone, I look and I often find myself looking at myself as if something greater than I ever was. Instead of seeing who the past and who I was in the past. 
It's necessary to not live in the past. And I don't identify with that anymore. But I need to remember where I was before Christ. And I need to remember that I was Barabbas on the way to die. Very well deserving of death. Before I was ever saved. And from that, Jesus bought me and set me free. And he died to take my place. He took the punishment that I deserved. And we need to remember that before Christ, we were sinners, guilty of every sin imaginable, worthy of death. And now because of Christ, we're redeemed. We're clean. We're not guilty. We're a son of the Father. Listen, Barabbas' name is interesting. It means son of the Father. Bar meaning son, Abba's father. And that's who you are in Christ. If you've put your faith in the Jesus, the Son of God that died for you on that cross and rose again three days later, if you put your faith in Him and asked Him to be your Savior and received Him as your Savior, the Bible says you are a son or a daughter of the Father. And maybe here, you're here today and, and you've, you've lost your fire, you've lost your zeal. Remember who you were. And I'll give you a hint. It was never not so bad. It was dreadfully sinful. And remember who you are now, not because of you, but because of Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Today you can become that son of the Father. Just like me, you aren't worthy of heaven because of sin. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay for your sins. And He died that you would be free. I'll ask you to stand as we pray. We'll have a moment of invitation. Father, thank You for Your Son. Thank You for Jesus. Thank you for looking at us with so much love and having so much love towards us that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Lord, as we approach Easter and, and beyond, Lord, help us to understand. Jesus, help us to understand the suffering that you went through so that we could be set free so that we could have heaven as our home, so we could have a relationship with the Father, so we could become Barabba, son of the Father. Lord, when our zeal dies down, when our fire dies down, remind us of who we were, what we were saved from. We were saved from transgressing the whole law. We were saved from death. In a lake of fire. God, I ask if there's anybody here this morning that is not saved yet, that you would have them today call upon your name, putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, receiving Him as their Savior, or that they would become another member of your family, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.